Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah Ashhadu anna Muhammadan rasulullah أشهد أن محمد رسول الله اهدنا 
Citing the Shahud, Da'uz, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalib the Masih the fifth, Ayyadullah Talib Nasr Aziz stated, Every individual, man or woman, who call themselves Ahmadis, their mere verbal statement that they believe in the promised Messiah or believe in his claim, does not make them true Ahmadis. Rather, the promised Messiah has put forward certain conditions and responsibilities with this proclamation. He has drawn our attention towards some obligations, stating that if one acts upon these things and fulfills these responsibilities, only then will they be counted among the members of his community. In other words, a mere change of doctrine does not suffice for one to be an Ahmadi. One must not become content saying that my parents were Ahmadis, therefore I am also an Ahmadi, or saying that I have believed in the claims of the Promised Messiah As a result of this, I am an Ahmadi. As far as the doctrine is concerned, this undoubtedly makes one an Ahmadi. However, in order to practically become an Ahmadi, it is incumbent to act upon the things which the Prophet Muhammad expected from an Ahmadi with all of one's capabilities. He very clearly stated that if you are not trying to act upon all these things with all of your capabilities, then your entire claim is merely a verbal statement and nothing more than lip service. He said, To take the bed, i.e. the Pledge of Allegiance, means handing over your life to Allah the Almighty. It means that today we have sold our life to Allah Almighty. Thus, this matter is not insignificant. When we sell some of our belongings to someone, then we cease to have any right over that belonging. Instead, the individual to whom we have sold that belonging becomes the owner of it.
he then makes use of it as he pleases. Thus, this is that state that we have to adopt and this is the thinking we ought to have regarding our lives. Promised Messiah states, in order to achieve such thinking and to develop such a state, the person taking the bath has to first adopt meekness and humility and has to distance themselves from their ego and selfishness. These are the words of the Promised Messiah that one has to distance themselves from their ego and selfishness. Some people's state of conceit and selfishness is such that at one place an office bearer who was unhappy with a fellow office bearer did not come to the mosque for prayers despite my presence for the reason that his relationship with that office bearer was strained. state of egotism and selfishness was to such a degree that although one claims to have pledged allegiance to Khilafat, but there was no due consideration for his lofty station. Thus the Promised Messiah states that if one undertakes the bed, then one must distance themselves from their own ego and selfishness. He said, then that person becomes worthy of progressing forward. But the one who continues to hold on to their own ego alongside taking the bed, will never receive any grace. Although this individual verbally professes belief and greets me with respect, however, due to internal quarrels, they do not even care in the slightest that the Khalifa of the time is present. They should be going to the mosque to offer prayers behind him and not for the sake of any office-bearer. All the meanwhile, that individual himself is also an office-bearer. Thus, if this is the state of a person, then there is no need for such an individual to be an Ahmadi. Thus, selling of one's life means that one should adopt humbleness and meekness. It requires one to annihilate oneself and to distance oneself from their ego and selfishness. In such a case, one does not own anything, and everything is subject to the commandment of Allah the Exalted. When one develops this state, then it is not possible that God Almighty would destroy such a soul. Once you have offered your life to Allah the Exalted, He values it and protects it in every way. The Promised Messiah has stated, if your actions are contrary to your pledge at the time of the birth, then there is a great disparity in your words. If you keep a distance from God, then in turn He will also keep a distance from you. The Promised Messiah then says, 
Therefore, you should assess your faith and your deeds as to whether you have achieved a transformation and a purification which will allow your heart to become an embodiment of the throne of God by which you can become granted protection. The Promised Messiah then states, I have repeatedly told my Jamaat that you should not merely rely on this bed. You will not attain salvation until you reach the true essence of the bed. The Promised Messiah then says, I advise you repeatedly that you should purify yourselves in the same manner the companions of the Holy Prophet transform themselves. Thus look at the wonderful and pure transformations of the companions. Instead of refraining from attending the mosque due to trivial quarrels, they transformed years of enmities which transcended generations into love, affection and brotherhood merely for the sake of God Almighty. Despite being ignorant, they sold their lives. In turn, they became educated, and following this, they became godly people. They wholeheartedly accepted the fact that from that day onwards, they possess nothing of their own. Instead, everything belongs to God Almighty. When they repented from shirk, i.e. associating partners with God, they tried to repent from the minutest forms of shirk as well. What is subtle or hidden form of shirk? Elaborating on this, the Promised Messiah states, Shirk does not merely refer to worshipping stones, etc. Rather, worshipping various means and revering Worldly gods are also forms of shirk. What is meant by worldly gods? These are worldly benefits for which a person neglects and discards the commandments of the faith and also God Almighty. The Holy Prophet said that ostentation in one's deeds and being entangled in its hidden desires are also forms of shirk. If a person discards a religious command and fulfills a worldly desire instead, he becomes guilty of shirk. The companions were so fearful of Allah the Exalted that it is mentioned in relation to one companion that he was once sitting down and crying. Someone inquired of him the reason for crying, upon which he said, I remembered this statement of the Holy Prophet when he said, I am fearful that my Ummah will become engrossed in shirk and concealed carnal desires.
This was the state of the companions' fear of Allah the Exalted and their desire to abstain from shirk. As a matter of fact, they were also concerned for other Muslims, believing that there would be people born in this ummah who would commit hidden forms of shirk. A thought had entered his heart, and as a result of this thought alone, his body started to shake. He became distressed and began to cry. This is the very state that allows a person to develop and become a true monotheist and a worshipper of God. The Promised Messiah states, the unity of God does not connote that a person merely professes La ilaha illallah, i.e. that there is no God but Allah, with his tongue, whereas his heart is filled with thousands of idols. Rather, the person who honors his efforts, schemes, deceptions and plans in the manner that God should be revered, and if he has faith in another person as he should have faith in God, and if he honours himself as he should honour God. In all of these circumstances, he becomes an idolater in the sight of God the Exalted. The Promise of Islam states, Every object, word or deed which is given the same grandeur as is the due right of God the Exalted is an idol in the sight of God. It should be remembered that the true unity of God, the proclamation of which He desires from us and to which salvation is attached, is to hold the being of Allah to be pure from any form of shirk, whether it is in the form of an idol, person, the sun, the moon, one's own self or his scheme, plan and deceit. Furthermore, it is to not suggest anyone more powerful in comparison to him, to not accept anyone as the provider, as the one who grants honour, and the one who disgraces, as one's personal honour and disgrace is dependent on these people. Rather, these matters should merely be attributed and restricted to God Almighty alone. Thus, this is the fundamental principle of Islam, which is also the fundamental principle of Ahmadiyyat, i.e. the true Islam. Someone said to me that people give such a high status to Khilafat and the Khalifa of the time, to the extent that they have reached this stage of shirk. It should be clear that the Promised Messiah came in servitude to the Holy Prophet in order to eradicate shirk from the world. Hence, it is impossible that his true caliphate could increase or encourage any form of shirk. 
the fundamental task of Khilafat is to eradicate shirk, to establish the unity of God, and to fulfill and complete the mission for which the promised Messiah was commissioned. If a person forms this opinion, having seen another person meet the Khalifa with honor and respect, then instead of forming an opinion, they ought to reflect over the fact whether or not he is thinking ill of another person. Therefore, if this is in fact the case, then those who think ill of others should refrain from doing so. However, if someone has truly reached the stage where he is giving others the impression that he is, God forbid, elevating the status of Khalifa to a form of shirk, then he should do istighfar and also be cautious. I have never desired for this in the past, nor do I do so today. In the same way, no Khalifa of the past, neither will any Khalifa in the future, God willing, desire for their own personality to be given importance. Indeed, it is the responsibility of the Khalifa of the time to establish the respect and honor for the institution of Khilafat. As it is his duty, he will continue to do so. Moreover, he will do so considering the fact that according to the promises of Allah the Exalted and the prophecy of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, the unity of God was to be spread throughout the world through Khilafat. And at the same time, shirk was to be eradicated from the world through Khilafat. Thus, some weak-minded people who develop these thoughts as, as a result of a lack of tarbiyat should erase these thoughts from their minds. Following the important task of establishing the unity of God, and to purify the hearts of his followers from shirk, the promised Messiah took a pledge from us that we will refrain from falsehood and moral evils. Allah the Exalted states in the Holy Quran, Fajtanibu rijsa min al-awthani, Wajtanibu qawla zur, which means Shun therefore the abomination of idols and shun all words of untruth. Elaborating on this, the Prophet Muhammad states, The Holy Quran has declared falsehood to also be an abomination and an idol, something which is filthy and impure. The Prophet Muhammad states, Ponder over the fact that in this verse falsehood has been compared with an idol and as a matter of fact falsehood is also an idol otherwise why would a person leave the truth and turn to falsehood just as there is no reality or truth behind the worship of an idol there is nothing behind falsehood apart from hypocrisy there is a sense of superficiality in falsehood 
apparent words or written texts are presented in a sugar-coated manner. They are presented in a beautiful manner even though they are hollow. Following this, the promised Messiah states, Falsehood is also an idol, and the person who places his faith in this removes his faith in God. Hence, by telling lies, one also loses God. Hence, if one claims to believe in the oneness of God, if one claims to worship Him, and if one desires to become a true believer, then we must forsake lying and falsehood. There are some who lie even in trivial matters. This does not behove a believer. One should not come under the impression that small inaccurate statements are not lies. They most certainly are lies and take one far away from Tawheed, i.e. the unity of God. There are countless issues and disputes between people in which one lies in order to sway the decision in his favor. How precisely has the Holy Prophet ﷺ warned about lying? If one ponders over this carefully, his hairs would stand on end. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said that if one says to a young child, Come, I shall give you something, and then gives him nothing, then this too comes under the banner of lying, even if it is said as a joke, it is still a lie. The Holy Prophet ﷺ then said that lying leads one to indecency and sinfulness, and these lead one to hell. Indecency and sinfulness mean to deviate far away from truthfulness and to be extremely evil. Hence, we must always analyze ourselves as to if we have a high level of truthfulness or that high standard of truthfulness which the Holy Prophet has described. and which he has said leads one to heaven. Then there is an evil which the Promised Messiah has particularly spoken about and especially admonished his followers to avoid. In fact, it is included in the conditions of Baird and that is adultery. Now this does not only mean outward adultery which happens through unlawful physical relations. Rather, he explained that as God Almighty has said, وَلَا تَقْرَبُ الزِّنَا And come not near unto adultery. Which means that one should avoid gatherings and occasions in which these thoughts may come to mind.
This is not just in the physical sense. Even the thought that comes to mind should be eschewed. He states that do not tread such paths in which there is a chance of this sin being committed. Whatever the chance or risk there is, it can lead one to committing adultery. In this day and age, there is TV and internet on which such indecent films are shown which openly incite one to adultery. Thus, it is the duty of every Ahmadi to avoid all of this. This is the reason for many disputes and quarrels, and as a result there are many families that break, or which have broken where the husband sits watching such films, or is surfing the internet with indecent thoughts in his mind. Countless youths are being wasted as a result of this and have fallen into the wrong company. This so-called developed society sees the habit of watching nudity and indecent films as free thinking and progress. However, we must protect ourselves from such evils. Now even these people are themselves admitting that they are detrimental. And if you get information about these pornographic films, then you will find that these lead to adultery, domestic violence, unlawful relationships, and even the mistreatment of children. And all this is happening due to indecent films. The Promised Messiah has stated, Do not allow even such thoughts to creep in your mind. If even the thought comes to mind, then abstain from it. So now it is being proven that by watching these, all these problems are being created. Therefore, every single Ahmadi must especially avoid all of this. Furthermore, to become a true Ahmadi, the Promised Messiah has drawn special attention to refrain from all kinds of injustice. He states, If you wish to associate yourselves with me, then do not allow any thought of mischief, injustice or evil creep in your mind. The Holy Prophet was once asked, What is the gravest injustice? He answered that the greatest injustice is for one to take even a hand's breadth of the land of his brother, i.e. to seize it for himself. Even a pebble of that land, a small amount which can be held between one or two fingers which he has taken wrongfully, even if it is the smallest of things, then all the layers of the land beneath it i.e. however many layers of the land there are beneath it, will be made into a collar which that person will carry around his neck on the Day of Judgment. On the Day of Reckoning, a collar will be made which will be placed on his neck. 
Now lands which are thousands of miles long have layers beneath from one side to the other. Imagine how great a burden will be placed on someone due to this. It is such a grave punishment that one cannot begin to imagine. Hence, to usurp the rights of others is a severe injustice and sin. We convey to others the beauty of Islam. The Prophet Islam then states that the highest standard of upholding of rights of others is encompassed in the teachings of Islam. Instead of taking one's rights, Islam draws our attention to fulfilling the rights of others. We openly exclaim this, but if our actions are in contradiction, then we will be held responsible and will be speaking a lie. Therefore, every Ahmadi must analyze himself in this regard with great attention. If our actions are in harmony with our teachings, then our tabliq will also be fruitful and our influence on others will be positive. The standard which the Prophet ﷺ set, which has been mentioned, is that one should not even let the thought of doing an injustice come to mind, no matter what it may be. Furthermore, an important condition of being a believer is to worship God Almighty. Rather, God Almighty has deemed this worship to be the purpose of the creation of man. Islam has stated So listen all of you who consider yourselves to be of my community When you truly tread the path of righteousness only then will you be counted in heaven as my community So perform your prayers five times a day inspired by such awe and awareness of the presence of God Almighty as if you were seeing Him with your own eyes. He then states, It is incumbent upon every Muslim to pray five times a day. It is said in a hadith that a group of people who accepted Islam came to the Holy Prophet and said, O Messenger of Allah, Permit us to be excused from praying because we are traders and it is very difficult for us to pray five times a day and we also have cattle. They had a herd or they would graze them. They worked outside and this was a very demanding task. Our clothes get spoiled and we cannot rely on this nor do we have the opportunity to do so. Due to this preoccupation, we cannot pray five times a day. The Holy Prophet answered, If there is no prayer, then what remains? That religion is no religion at all which has no prayer in it. The Promised Messiah then states, What is prayer? 
It is to present your humility and shortcomings before God Almighty and to ask Him all that you require. He also states, The love of God, fear of Him, and to remember Him in your heart is prayer. And this, in short, is religion. He then states, Then whoever wishes to excuse himself from prayer, what more does he do than animals? He is in the same condition as animals. To merely eat, drink and sleep like animals can never be called religion. It is the way of the believers. Thus, the Promised Messiah has clearly stated that the differentiation between men and beasts is the worship of God Almighty and prayer. If our attention is not being drawn towards prayers, then we can assess for ourselves as to which category we fall in. I have reminded on many occasions, and continue to do so, that if the Salat center or the mosque is far away, then the local houses should get together and designate a place where their prayer can be offered. This will not only enable you to partake from the blessings of praying in congregation, but will also continuously remind you and the future generation about prayers and provide the means for their reformation. The future generation will also remain focused on prayers. We are focusing our efforts on the construction of mosques and are building many mosques. God willing, tomorrow we will be inaugurating the mosque in Virginia. However, if we are not inclined towards offering the prayers, then what is the purpose of building these mosques? I have repeatedly mentioned that if the office bearers of the auxiliary organization as well as the Jamaat level focus their attention towards prayers, then the attendance at prayers will multiply manyfold. And through this we can also train the future generation. There is an instruction of the Holy Prophet in relation to prayer which truly causes one's heart to tremor. The Holy Prophet states The first thing for which a person will be called to account for on the Day of Judgment is the prayer. If he succeeds in this account, he would be successful and will attain salvation. If that account is deficient, he will be ruined and will be a loser. Thus, it is no ordinary matter if one is not fulfilling the due rights of focusing their attention towards prayer. May God Almighty enable every Ahmadi to fulfill the dues of this right. However, the dues of this right will not only be fulfilled through the obligatory prayers alone. In fact, the Promised Messiah has stated 
that one should also focus towards the nawafil, i.e. voluntary prayers, and the tahajjud, pre-dawn voluntary prayer. The Holy Prophet ﷺ has stated, if there is a shortfall in the obligatory prayers, as one can have a deficiency in this regard, but Allah will make it up from his nawafil. However, that is only possible if one is in the habit of offering nawafil. Therefore, it is also important to offer the tahajjud and nawafil prayers, and one should pay focus towards this. Another extremely important aspect which every Ahmadi should be mindful of is to constantly pray attention towards seeking forgiveness for their sins. Man is weak and at times, despite trying not to, ends up committing mistakes. However, God Almighty is not there just to observe people and punish them for their mistakes. In fact, God Almighty has prescribed a method through which one can seek forgiveness for his sins and safeguard himself from committing them in the future as well. And that is through istighfar, i.e. seeking forgiveness from God Almighty. The Holy Prophet ﷺ has stated that God Almighty does not punish one who remains engaged in seeking forgiveness. Even if there are a few individuals who are seeking forgiveness, but they can become the means of forgiving the sins of many others, and they can also be saved. In relation to this, the Promised Messiah states, Some people have an awareness of sin, whereas some people do not even know they are committing sin. Therefore, God Almighty has made istighfar incumbent for all times. Whether one is aware of one's sin or not, they should remain occupied with istighfar. A mistake can be committed at any occasion, and sometimes even unknowingly. The Promised Messiah says, Istighfar is so that one should continue to seek God's protection from all sins, obvious or hidden, known or unknown, whether committed by hand, legs, tongue, nose or eyes. That is, every part of one's body can become guilty of committing sin. Thus, istighfar protects one from committing sin from every part of the body. Therefore, one should strive to remain in the protection of God Almighty. For this, the Promised Messiah has taught the following prayer of the Holy Quran, which should be read in this day and age. And that prayer is Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam taghfir lana wa tarhamna lanakunanna minil khasirin Which means Our Lord, we have wronged ourselves and if Thou forgive us not and have not mercy on us we shall surely be of the lost. Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam taghfir lana wa tarhamna 
The Promised Messiah further states When one seeks the strength from God, that is, to do istighfar, they can become free from those weaknesses with the aid of the Holy Spirit. The Promised Messiah has placed another fundamental condition for his followers, which is that they should fulfill the due rights of fellow man and abstain from causing any kind of harm to the creation of God Almighty. Whilst drawing our attention towards constantly reflecting upon the condition of our hearts, the Promised Messiah states, Instill the fear of God Almighty in your hearts, as a result of which you shall show compassion to His creation and become its well-wishers. It has been mentioned in a hadith that the Holy Prophet ﷺ stated, Do not be jealous of one another. Do not quarrel among yourselves. Do not entertain malice against each other. Do not have enmities against one another. None of you should overbid on a contract that has been settled by the other. O servants of Allah, be brothers to one another. A Muslim is a brother to another Muslim. He does not oppress his brother. He does not degrade him nor think lowly of him. To think low of his Muslim brother is enough to constitute an evil on his part. The blood, property and honour of every Muslim are unlawful for another Muslim. This is something that should be demonstrated from us Ahmadis more than anyone else and by the grace of God Almighty it is being demonstrated to a large degree. Today, if all the Muslims were to understand this principle and adhere to it as well as the Muslim governments then the cruelties perpetrated by Muslims upon each other which has consequently resulted into the destruction of lives and properties and hundreds of thousands of children and women are becoming orphaned and widowed, and the elderly are dying, will no longer happen. Then arrogance is another major ill, which God Almighty has taught us in the Holy Quran to refrain from. The Holy Prophet ﷺ has also drawn our attention to this, and stated that, one whose heart has arrogance as little as a small grain will not be allowed to enter paradise. The Promised Messiah states, Thus, in my opinion, this is a fine way to become purified. It is impossible to find a better way than to discard arrogance and pride of any sort about one's education, family or wealth. The Promised Messiah further states, I admonish my Jamaat to shun arrogance because arrogance is most loathsome to Allah, the Lord of Glory. Even on the occasion of Hajjat al-Wada, i.e. the farewell pilgrimage, the Holy Prophet stated, all men, whatever nation or tribe they may belong to, and whatever station in life they may hold, are equal. 
No black is superior to a white, and no white is superior to a black. And an Arab has no superiority over a non-Arab, nor a non-Arab has any superiority over an Arab. Thus, this is the teaching we have been given regarding humility, equality, and abstaining from arrogance and pride. And each of us should adhere to this teaching. In the non-Muslim world, there exists discrimination between the black and white race. In fact, now certain leaders have even claimed that the mental abilities and faculties of people belonging to the white race are superior to those of non-white. Such is the state of their arrogance, and every Ahmadi should abstain from such thinking. On two separate occasions in a gathering with young women, it was expressed that here in the USA Jamaat there is a racial discrimination. If for whatever reason this thought exists in the minds of the young generation, then this is extremely wrong. The auxiliary organization of Lajna, Khudam and Ansar and also the Tarbiyat department of the Jamaat should investigate into this as to why such concerns are being raised. If there is any reality to this, then they should make an effort and morally train others with wisdom and love, so that these concerns and reservations are removed. No auxiliary organization or any office bearer should conduct this work in a hastily fashion or make rash decisions, nor should they start investigating into who it was who said this. Rather, they should assess whether or not there is any truth to this. If this is not the case, then why have such questions been raised? They should assess whether or not these issues are developing owing to personal enmity. However, whatever the causes are, we should eradicate this ill from within us with love and wisdom. The young woman who raised this concern to me, I also told her to write a detailed report to me as to why she felt that there is a racial discrimination developing within the Jamaat. Nonetheless, this discrimination is also a form of arrogance and we have to protect ourselves from arrogance in whatever form it may exist. Another aspect which the Promised Messiah has drawn our attention towards and which God Almighty and the Holy Prophet have also instructed us to perform is financial sacrifices. By the grace of God Almighty, the Jamaats across the world are excelling in offering financial sacrifices. And by the grace of God Almighty, the USA Jamaat also comes forward for making financial sacrifices whenever they are called upon whether it is in a condition of emergency or for a particular project. However, in view of the stats and figures available, it shows that there is a lot of deficiency in terms of the contribution towards the regular system of Jamaat Janda. Thus, there is a need to pay particular attention towards this. A 
person who is experiencing financial difficulties can seek permission to pay his janda at a reduced amount or at a reduced rate citing his straitened circumstances. However, those who enjoy a healthy income should assess whether they are paying their janda according to their income. It should not be the case that one should make deductions to their janda just as someone may think of doing when it comes to the payment of tax. One should assess their income because the payment of janda is a matter between the individual and God Almighty. The administration or the sectary finance is not aware of what the janda payer's actual income is. However, God Almighty has full knowledge of it and even has knowledge of what lies deep in one's heart. If everyone was to pay their janda according to their actual prescribed rate, then I believe that very few schemes will be needed to launch separately for the construction of the mosques and other Jamaat projects. Therefore, in view of this, everyone should assess their budget again and revise their payments, if they have written a lower amount previously. I also share various accounts of those who have recently accepted Ahmadiyyad as to how they bring about a change in their conditions after having accepted Ahmadiyyad. They improve in their spiritual conditions as well as in their practical state and also in their worship. They are also understanding the importance of financial sacrifices despite their impoverished state and thus God Almighty has blessed them and granting them affluence in their financial state which leads to further strengthening them in their faith and devotion. The very meaning of the word Qurbani signifies that one does something after experiencing difficulty and hardship. And here it means to make a sacrifice in order to fulfill the needs of God Almighty's religion. Therefore, those who give less than what they can easily give are not performing any Qurbani and nor are they performing any favours for God Almighty? Even if they do not contribute, God Almighty will provide those means by which the necessities of the faith are fulfilled. He has been ensuring that these means are fulfilled and shall continue to do so, God willing. Thus, all those people who, despite living in comfort, do not pay their janda according to the prescribed rate, I would like to draw their attention towards this matter so that they can become the recipients of God's blessings. Today, the last matter towards which I would like to remind you all is obedience. The Holy Quran has commanded us on several instances to obey God Almighty and His Messenger, and also to show obedience to those who are in authority over you. Furthermore, the promised Messiah has also included obedience as one of the stipulations for taking the bet, and that is for one to pledge that they will obey every maruf command until their last breath. In all of our auxiliary organizations, we make the declaration that we will deem it essential to abide by every maruf decision made by the Khalifa. Some individuals who have a crooked nature or those that entertain thoughts which are duplicitous say 
that since they have pledged to follow all Maruf decisions, some of the decisions made by the Khalifa are not Maruf, or that some decisions are not Maruf in their estimation. There are people of this nature in different parts of the world who present their own interpretations of this. Although there are only a few people who hold this view, perhaps one in a hundred thousand, however, it is vital for this assumption to be refuted, as this can poison the minds of the younger generation. If every person decides to interpret the meaning of Maruf themselves, the Jamaat cannot remain unified, and the argument will arise as to what is deemed as Maruf and what is not. On one occasion, Hazrat Khalib al-Masih anhu explained this concept in the following words. There is another misconception which is regarding the concept of showing obedience to matters that are deemed to be maruf and that people are able to choose whether or not to follow those instructions they consider to be not maruf. He further said, In the Holy Quran, this word has been used for the Holy Prophet in the verse... وَلَا يَعْسِينَكَ فِي مَعْرُوفِ Meaning, nor disobey thee in what is right. Hazrat Khalif al-Masih the first then says, Have these people also compiled a list of the flaws of the Holy Prophet ﷺ in that certain instructions of his are correct and others are not? In the commentary of the verse, Ya'maru bil ma'ruf, i.e., enjoin what is good, the Promised Messiah stated, A prophet does not give a command which is illogical. In other words, ma'ruf decisions are those which are free from irrationality and also fall within the directives of the Holy Quran. Then it is mentioned in a hadith that the Holy Prophet ﷺ sent a delegation of the companions to a certain place. When they reached a particular place, they lit a fire. The head of the delegation said in jest, If I order you to jump into the fire, would you do so? Some of the companions refuted the command, saying that this would constitute as suicide and would not carry it out. However, others said that it was imperative to obey the instructions of the head of the delegation. Eventually, the head of the delegation said it was only a light-hearted joke and the matter was finished. When they returned to Medina, the Holy Prophet ﷺ was informed of the incident to which he said, For those who are placed in authority over you, whosoever gives an instruction which is contrary to a commandment of Allah the Almighty, you must not obey him. This is the explanation of Ma'ruf in that any instruction which contradicts a commandment of God Almighty cannot be considered as ma'ruf. But if the instruction is in line with the command of God Almighty and the Holy Prophet ﷺ, then that instruction is ma'ruf. Therefore it is evident that showing obedience to ma'ruf decisions is a vital instruction, as they are instructions given to us by God Almighty 
and also the instructions by his messenger. Thus, until true Khilafat is established, and according to the prophecy of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, this Khilafat is to remain indefinitely, God willing. This institution of Khilafat can never issue a directive which is contrary to the teachings of God Almighty and His Messenger ﷺ. And the Khalifa will only issue commands which are in line with the Holy Quran and the practice of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. As mentioned earlier, in the Holy Quran, the words obeying Maruf decisions has also been used for the Holy Prophet. The Promised Messiah Islam has also used these words in the conditions of Ed. Similarly, during Khilafat Ahmadiyya, these words are repeated during every pledge. The meaning of these words are clear in that it means to establish the commands of God Almighty and to advise the community to adhere to these constructions. Therefore, it is incumbent upon every individual who considers themselves as part of this Jamaat to obey every instruction issued by the Khalifa of the time. Hazrat Muslimaud has also explained this issue by saying, should there ever be a scenario whereby a wrong instruction has been issued, then since God Almighty Himself is to safeguard the institution of Khilafat, He will never permit the outcome of that decision to be harmful. Instead, God Almighty will create those circumstances by which there will be a positive outcome from that instruction. Therefore, it is not the job of an individual to interpret what is meant by the word Maruf. A Maruf decision is one which is in line with the Qur'an the practice of the Holy Prophet ﷺ and his sayings, and also that which falls in line with the just arbitrator of this era. Through this, the unity of the Jamaat can be upheld. The Promised Messiah was sent by God Almighty to unite the people and establish a community of sincere and obedient followers. The Promised Messiah has clearly stated that it was not his desire to increase the number of his followers with those who had no idea of what obedience entails. In this regard, the Prophet Messiah states, If those who affiliate themselves with me and enter into my bed, yet fail to reform themselves and do not live their lives according to the teachings of God and his messenger, وسلم, then such a person's bed is futile. Thus, we will only fulfill the purpose of being an Ahmadi when we realize this truth and strive to attain it with all our faculties. The Promised Messiah says, Showing obedience is not a small matter or one that is easy to demonstrate. This requires a death on one's part. Whosoever does not show complete obedience seeks to malign this community. The Promised Messiah further says, I have advised my community on numerous occasions that one should not rely on the mere verbal proclamation of your Pledge of Allegiance. Until one understands the reality of the bed, they cannot attain salvation. 
May God Almighty grant all of us true understanding of the Islamic teachings and enable us to act upon them. May we become those who fulfill the rights of entering into the bed of the promised Messiah and always remain attached to Khilafat with the utmost obedience. And also may we act upon every Maruf decision made by the Khalifa with a sincere heart and demonstrate complete obedience. May Allah enable every one of us to achieve this. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah,